Once again, it is time to break down some of the NFTs going in and around the metaverse and on the BitMart NFT exchange. Today, joining me is someone leading their own NFT project, and it is on the BitMart exchange. It's minting now. It is Mystical Muses, and the creator of it is joining us right now. Jessica Brodkin. Jessica, thanks for joining us here on NFT 101. Uh, awesome background. If you're not watching the video version of the show, you are, you're giving yourself a disservice here because Jessica is awesome and has an awesome background. And great to have you on the show, Jessica. Give us a little bit of info about who you are and what led you to starting your own NFT project. Um, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, my name is Jess Brodkin. I have had a really wild and interesting career. I was recruited by the CIA while I was an undergrad at MIT. Um, while working at the CIA, I became a stand-up comedian at night. And a few years later, I switched from, I quit the CIA and became an energy healer. So I became a Reiki healer. And um, after doing that for about seven, eight years, I decided to join Web3 by creating my own um, collection with my co-founder, who is an artist and graphic designer who has spent most of his career in Macy's and is one of the top producers, comedy producers in New York. So we got we to gotta unpack a lot because <laughs> your opening paragraph is <laughs> like a Soderbergh movie. Uh, like somewhere in there's a Judd Apatow movie, and now you, yes. the the Web three thing is the least shocking thing of everything about your logline. So yeah, so yeah. start Facts. off uh, MIT. Now yeah. I am a graduate of the New York University because some right. people think I'm smart, but MIT is a different level of of genius and understanding just the literal intricacies of how the world works at a mathematical and scientific uh, method. How did you realize that you wanted to go to MIT and then walk us through the whole, you know, spy thing? <laughs> okay, so I'm a born and bred uh, New Yorker, um, I think like yourself. Yep. And, what and what I part? Was, um, I grew up in like Midwood. Oh yeah, no, I know some people from Midwood, yeah. So like, and I went to Midwood High School. So I'm first generation American. Um, and, you know, when you were a first generation American, I think that there's a lot of pressure that you have to like make your family sacrifice worth it. So I think that there was just like so much pressure and I come from an engineering family. So I come from like a real, like my grandmother came here in the seventies and then like helped she got hired by the city and helped build battery park city like i didn't realize what a bad bitch she was you know until like <laughs> way shit. later i was like oh my god grandma's a bad bitch you know like i didn't even i didn't even know both of my grandmas were bad bitches but just in different ways you know um so that was like the the upbringing i was like this artsy kid who happened to be good at math i was a really artsy person i still am as you can tell and as you know we bonded over earlier but um, but yeah, I come from this uh, Russian and Iranian, uh, Russian and Persian immigrant family. So um, of like engineers and big nerds. So there was all this pressure to succeed. And um, Midwood High School is like not an it's an OK public school. It wasn't great. But my high school sweetheart actually got into MIT 
And uh, I embarrassingly, uh, he was the reason I applied. Uh, I applied it's not on an a embarrassing lark. reason. Like I followed my heart as a teenager. You know what I mean? I just yeah. followed my heart. I was a kid. It was my first, you know, first person I had the feels for. And um, I, I just, I got into the engineering schools. I did not get into the liberal arts schools, which is where I actually wanted to go. Um, I didn't even know, am I, and this is just willful ignorance from someone who got rejected from all of the colleges they applied to at high school. Uh, I did not know. NYU. Okay. I, uh, my journey bounces around. I went to community college, okay, went yeah. to Hofstra for a year, won an Associated Press Award, had a nervous breakdown, ended up at NYU. Whole fucking thing. But wow, okay. when we're cousins, yeah, <laughs> <Got> it. <laughs> but uh, when you get to MIT, yeah. Coming from New York, coming from Midwood, coming from that part of town, coming from a close-knit community, first-generation yeah. American, what yeah. was the culture shock like to just be dropped into what is an incubator for the future and current geniuses of the modern world? You know, uh, so it was 20 years ago, so it was a long time ago, and since I've joined Web3, I have met a lot of MIT people who are younger, um, but... Back in the day, and I started, I got into MIT in 1999. So it's when a lot of TikTok stars were born um, <laughs> is when I is when I when joined MIT. That's how old I am. But I mean, like, <laughs> but um, the culture shock is that I was surprised that um, it wasn't a very woman-friendly place um, at the time. And now I believe it is. Um, but I was really shocked by the... Um, I was really shocked. It wasn't, it, um, I was shocked by that. That was, and also there was a hazing environment. So the hazing environment was like from the professors that they were like, okay, we're gonna fail a third of the students in physics just because, just to take, just to make them like kind of suffer. And uh, that was painful. It was, it was actually a pretty painful experience. <laughs> that sounds illegal. Like I, I when you, when you talk about the 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 sexism in academia i do feel yeah. like there's been a complacency and a different standard for female at, you know female yeah. is females in academia and it's completely ridiculous and you see the burgeon we had uh, someone on the B bitmart brain trust this week who is someone who came came to crypto and became a savant like just understood the market, understood wow. the marketplace, a pageant winning romance cover book novel model who just wow. understands the market and understands the trends at a molecular level. Wow. And if there's a level of incubation for, and we're seeing it now more and more, mainly because females have a bigger voice in academia, they've been muted for centuries. Yeah. And you're seeing a more focus on STEM. And it's good to see that, there's changes now, but if this would have happened 10, 15, 20 years ago, I think we would have seen a lot more advancement in science just because there's a lot of passionate people who had their candles burnt out and they were trying to snuff yours out too. Yeah, that's what was going on 20 years. I guess, I guess it was uh, 20 years ago. So that's, that was my experience. I did join a sorority ironically to like help support through the process, but um it was it was difficult. I wish that I wish it was a warmer and fuzzier place, but I'm not I'm not mad anymore. I think that the um, I think that maybe this is wrong, but 
I think that like people being, I've, I'm often the first woman or one of few women in mostly male spaces over and over again in my life, except in healing. So, but CIA is very woman, you know, not very woman friendly. It is more so now, but the culture, not so much stand up comedy. You know, mm-hmm. when I started stand up, it was very not woman friendly. Now it's better, but it's still not like an amazing space to be woman. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to make it all about that, but it's definitely been like one of the through lines of my life of being like, oh, okay, I'm not even mad anymore because I just show up and I'm like, I am going to take up space in a place where we're not welcome. Or I went to, I went to a founder's last week was mainnet in New York. Mm-hmm. I got into an event at the Harvard club. It was great. It was all these, uh, web three founders who were like real legit, like, uh, profound dudes. The room was like 50 people maybe a hundred people. There were like three women in there. It's so weird. And it's so, it's so weird. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh, you know, and then, and then you can make it intersectional and be like, okay, uh, there's w- not a lot of women. And then it was like, how many women of color? I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like how many, like, and on all the other things. But um, it's unfortunately was, it was a big theme of my life at MIT. But I, I um, yeah, anyway, I think I found my way out. I found my way. I decided at 19 that I wanted to do FBI or CIA, and that's where I ended up. How do you come <laughs> to that choice? Like, I, I know people who work in law enforcement, being an sure. Irish guy from Brooklyn, you okay. you end up having cousins of cousins of cousins who are cops and firefighters. But sure. when you make that decision, and especially yeah. as a first-generation American, in, at that point in time, you know, you're talking about 1999, early 2000s. Yeah. That that period of time in the United States and talking like saying that was a quixotic time now when we're living through what we're living through now is, yeah. is a, it seems an absurd statement. But that was a turning point for Absolutely. multiple generations of Americans. What was that indicator to you that you wanted to do that? And what was that process like then? I'm assuming it's much different now, 20 years later. Yeah, I, I don't know what it's like now, but I know that at the time I I was um, initially majoring in material science and uh, political science. So I had to like sort of like world history, um, world um, international conflict, sort of deep interest. And I I don't know if going to the CIA was the right move for me. Um, I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> kind of wish I left much earlier or that I was like in a different place, but it is what it is part of the journey. Um, but the decision was before nine 11. So I decided before nine 11 that I wanted to like CIA, FBI, um, state department. I thought that I could have some sort of positive impact on national security or human trafficking, anti-human trafficking, not pro-human trafficking, obviously, <laughs> but like, um, but you know, um, I wanted to make a positive impact and I thought that it would. And then when nine 11 happened, when I was in school, that was just, that was a, obviously a life-changing event politically. And, you know, and then we went to war in Iraq and Afghanistan and, um, so what was, I guess, I don't know if I answered your question. I no, you, I did. you did. It, it was just, it was just an interesting, pro- like, 
Yeah, in a, in a roundabout way. And then you yeah. end up going from one form of uh, trying to stop terror and then the other form, stand-up comedy in the New York comedy scene in the well, early... Oh, it was D.C. Oh, yeah, D.C. So I was still the oh. CIA, so I was in D.C. for five years doing comedy. Oh, so it's Which- like Tom Myers... Stavos Halikis, Adam Friedman, like all these, yeah, all these guys. Yeah, you know all these guys. Yeah, that, those were my crew. Those <laughs> were, and it was a small community, so it's like you did comedy in New York, but comedy in DC is a really different vibe. Yeah. So, so tell us about that. What was what was it like making while actively working in Langley or in that in huh. the DMV? To go yeah. into like Magoobies or that's right. I hosted Magoobies a lot. Oh, oh, you hosted it. Oh, you're comedy royalty at this point no. in oh, some oh. circles. I don't think he. I I feel like I didn't belong in Magoobies. Yeah, I hosted the Improv. I hosted the Draft House. I hosted Magoobies. I did all those. I did all those rooms over and for years. You know. So and then I would. Uh, how how did you end up making that transition into stand up comedy though? Um. So I, at MIT, I did do improv and um, I started doing improv again in, uh, in DC, in the DC, at the DC improv. I started doing improv again. That was really fun. And it was, a, it was we got into festivals immediately. And um, I don't know, I had this feeling when I was like around 27, 28, I was like, what am I going to regret not doing in my life if I look back in my 50s? For some reason, I was 27. 28, I was 28 and I was like, what will I regret not doing in my fifties? And I said, stand up. And, um, and that's, that's what made me try it. And I tried it and I was hooked and it was done. What was, what was, I think answering your question, one of my favorite stories about my life at the, um, one of my favorite stories about my life at the CIA was doing stand up at night and having my bosses come to my shows without my permission. Yeah, I was at the State Theater in Virginia and I had like a bunch of of my uh, managers come. My CIA managers come and watch me perform without warning me. Sometimes they warned me. One of them warned me, but a lot of the times they didn't. I would like get off stage at the DC Improv and then see my boss oh, that's in the back of the room. That I, I, I did <laughs> open mics in the late yeah. 20, like late like early 2010s, like in the yeah. mid 2010s. And I can't imagine anyone in my professional life showing up to me telling horrible jokes. I I, I had no material. Oh, same, same, same. And same. then just like, like, hey, pal, came to see you do stand up last night. Can you tell me why you told a slutty Muppet joke? Because that was my closer <laughs> And I just, uh, uh, that period of my life is buried six feet deep under concrete. But let's talk about the yeah. reason you are here. Mystical yeah, Muses. Yeah, Mystical Muses. Give us, a, give us a breakdown on why you, what led you to Web3 and NFTs, what this project is. You're, you're working on lowering carbon emissions, which is yeah. awesome. Thank and you. you're, you're looking to facilitate it through your passions of comedy, Reiki, and these NFTs. That's right. Run us through not just the elevator pitch, but your passionate pitch about this project, what you get from this project, and other things that are cool about this project that you can get on the BitMart NFT marketplace. That's right. Okay, so um, Mystical Muses was born out of the desire to be in Web3. The desire to be in Web3 came from sort of uh, breaking uh, the decentralization for artists. 
So the whole purpose of this was basically like, I've experienced stuff as a comedian that is like, um, not amazing. And I thought that Web3 would be a place where artists can have direct access to individuals and build that, build that base um, in a more sort of just way. Um, we really wanted to create, there was a lot of conversation about, and there still is a lot of conversation about the carbon footprint of NFTs. And so removing the carbon footprint, buying carbon credits to the point that we're actually uh, have a carbon negative project, not just a carbon neutral project, um, was really important to me. And I'm super into climate change. So that's, I believe that we can uh, be conscious consumers, lower our carbon footprint, um, save the planet and and uh, make beautiful art. I, I'm in complete agreement and taking a look at some of the art you guys have, have up there on mysticalmuses.io. The website again is mysticalmuses.io. Some really cool profile pictures, some really cool art that's going up there. And when you think about this project and when you started putting this out into the world, you said you have a partner who worked with Macy's yes. has been, what was that? What was the connection that led to that conversation? And how does it feel to have a project like this out in the world? Because you're you're used to that being a stand-up comic. You're giving a piece of yourself to the audience. Yeah. And you're doing the, you know, you're doing the same thing as a Reiki healer. You're putting yourself out to the audience and you're risking a lot by by giving the yeah. audience that piece of you. Sure. What is it like doing this in the art form in a new space that is still trying to find its footing? I mean, I think that um, there's, I feel like there's so many questions and this is a great question. What does it feel like to do this? I think that art is really about, um, it's about self-expression, but the self-expression is also the collective expression. The Mystical Muses were designed to be wild woman feminine art. So we wanted to make stuff that was like really out there, really unique and really gorgeous. Um, and, and the community that we designed was also around uh, monthly events that are Reiki healing or like Reiki group healing, which I've been doing for a really long time, um, comedy shows. So anybody who is a Mystical Muses holder can come to New York City and get into free shows at New York Comedy Club or Comic Strip Live any weekend of the year. So there are four shows that people have access to that they can come to for free, which is awesome. So that's one of the benefits of being a holder. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's different about making art um, in this way versus doing like comedy or Reiki is that we don't know exactly how people feel, especially with the decentralization and like you don't know exactly who you're, you know, we have a Discord server, of course, and Twitter, but we don't know exactly who our holders are and exactly how they feel about our art. And so I think that I don't have that like direct feedback. And um there's a lot going on in the NFT space and crypto the web three space in general, because market conditions are a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, that is like, you know, uh, comedy is uh, recession proof, <laughs> you know, Reiki is recession proof. People always need healing. People always need comedy. Um, and, but you know, NFTs, um, I'm kind of excited to see where NFTs are going to go and how, how they, um, how they w move in the future. 
Same here, and you know, that's we our whole show is predicated on on educating people on NFTs. That's why it's called NFT One Hundred and One, and not Matt True. yells at his camera for forty five minutes, <laughs> which was the original title of the show. But also sounds great. <laughs> I completely I like agree about that instant gratification because on this side of things, like we don't know what we're on the podcast side of things. We're not live. We're not getting that direct feedback, that direct <laughs> reaction, and coming from radio and live broadcasting and doing some stuff in the sports and sports entertainment world you you live for that reaction from the audience that right. reaction on social media but when you're doing it in nfts with the limited exception of discord there is no instant gratification there is no instant right. reaction and i think more and more as metaverses and different things build out in the space we'll see a lot more of that but what are some things coming up for mystical muses that you're excited about i know you said they get four you know four comedy shows a month at comic strip live which is one of the og og comedy clubs in new york city new york comedy club which is also like one of those cornerstone clubs in manhattan what what else can people expect coming up things that you're working on things that you're really excited about with mystical muses that haven't been fully fleshed out to the world yet things you're working on or things about the space that are making you really excited okay great i love that you gave me like four different questions that i could possibly answer any of them right no i'll take all of them this is great <laughs> um what i'm most excited you, you, what i'm most excited about is the intersection of web3 and climate change Number one, what Mystical Muses is working on, we have a really robust mo roadmap, but what I'm interested in, what I am working on is Metaverse, um, a Metaverse that actually, the um, gamified Metaverse that actually benefits climate change in more than carbon credits. And carbon, the carbon credit company that we um, uh, partnered with is uh, Nori. And Nori is like, actually, there are different, um, there are different, uh, levels in terms of how good the carbon credits are, because there are people who think that carbon credits are a scam if they're not retired, if they're just sold and resold, but they don't have to be. Like carbon credits can be done in a way that's extremely legitimate. And that's why I'm so grateful to be partnered with Nori on that issue because they are like super legit. They're third party verified. There's, there's a way to do carbon credits right, but I'm interested in things that are also beyond carbon credits in web three. And like, because the world is moving towards web three, people play games, people like gamification. Um, and can we create something that is actually like extremely beneficial for society and the climate while also building something really beautiful and fun? Well, that's awesome. And I'm excited to see what's coming up next. You, you have a robust roadmap, as you said. Not easy for me to say for some reason, probably because I'm super decaffeinated right now. But you can find out more about the roadmap and more about Mystical Muses at the website, mysticalmuses.io. You can also go to their Twitter, twitter.com at mystical underscore muses. That's twitter.com slash mystical underscore muses. There you can also sign up to join their Discord and become a part of the community. Community. Jessica, it has been awesome having you on NFT 101. Anything you want to shout out, anything that you want to remind people of, anything we haven't gotten to yet that you want to talk about before we head off? I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for being such a great host and asking great questions. And um, I'm excited to be um, part, of, part of the NFT space. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find Jessica's NFTs, Mystical Muses, on the BitMart NFT exchange. Go to bitmart.com or click the show notes 
for more information and a direct link so you can buy those NFTs right now and get them while they are still cooking. Jessica, thank you again for joining us here on the show and hopefully we'll have you back on soon. Thank you. This has been NFT 101 and now for the part that everybody loves, Nathan reading all the legal jargon. Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in this very unique industry. But now we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, all right? It's just the way that it is. So I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of BitMart. BitMart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. BitMart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk.